there are teams who are a good fit with venture capital investment. And those are people who will be capable of pivoting when they find evidence that there's a better direction to go in. Welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted, the show dedicated to innovation in the insurance industry. Each episode, you'll get a dose of thought leadership from the industry's top business minds, influencers, innovators, and executive leaders. If you want to transform your corner of the industry and exchange innovative ideas, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Now here's your host, Abel Travis. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast, where we talk about insurance innovation. Now, you know, this has been a pivotal year for me this year. You know, um, I didn't recognize that I'd have the opportunity to speak with so many innovators in the insurance industry um, and help to bring the message of embracing insurance innovation to everyone that's been listening to this podcast. Now, you know, when I set out to do this podcast, I had a goal of reaching, you know, just over 10,000 people um, within the insurance industry to help to, again, bring that message of innovation to folks in the industry. Um, And, you know, with the Insurance Innovators Unscripted podcast, I was able to do just that, you know. So, um, you know, next year I was talking about moonshots and I, you know, tweeted about, you know, what my moonshot for this year was. And that was one of my moonshots. But next year, mine is to 10x that. Um, and it's to, you know, uh, spread the message of why insurance innovation is a great thing for our industry um, and reach, you know, more than 100,000 people in the insurance industry through many mediums, you know, whether it's through social media, whether it's through this podcast or, you know, whether it's through other things that I'm, I'm doing uh, to engage with folks in the industry. Now, a lot of you uh, have been reaching out to me uh, via, you know, email and, and you know, many other uh, mediums and, um, you know, just talking about the the value that you're getting out of this podcast and the value from the discussions that you're getting out of this podcast. Um, And, you know, it's just been really exciting to see how you all listening to what I'm doing here um, has changed the way that you think about our insurance industry. So um, as always, you know, um, I always like to say thank you for uh, being a part of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted podcast family, for listening, for engaging with me, um, and then also for telling your friends about what we're doing. You know, so um, once again, thank you. Now, you know, I do want to thank our sponsor of this episode of the podcast, and that's Vortex Legal. Innovation in the insurance field is exciting, and Vortex Legal is a unique and proven solution to help improve a company's loss ratio by substantially reducing legal expenses. You know, their nationwide network of local attorneys attend the voluminous and routine and predictable hearings for a flat rate, not an hourly rate. So Vortex Legal Solution works with both staff counsel offices as well as outside law firms. They've saved many carriers millions of dollars. So if you want to learn more, just contact Jonathan Broder at 954-473-2648 or visit vortexlegal.com. Now, my guest today is Martha Noteris. Now, Martha is a partner at XL Innovate, a leading global insurtech venture capital fund. Hey, Martha, you know, it's great to have you on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Abel. Enjoy being here. Hey, so Martha, you know, before we jump into exactly what you're doing, just help us understand you and, you know, just help me understand your background and, you know, how you landed in the insurance industry. Sure. Probably a a more roundabout path uh, than some, but I have been investing in data and analytics companies for quite some time, maybe a little longer than I'm willing to admit. And um, my first contact 
with the insurance space was by acquiring risk management solutions, RMS, about 20 years ago. And that business was really very much focused, as it is today, on being an, a data and analytics provider into the insurance industry, solving or providing tools to help insurers solve problems that they knew they had, but they didn't have the in-house capabilities to, to address. And that's really formed part of the core of the kinds of businesses that Excel Innovate invests in. You know, Martha, you know, that's really a pretty interesting background, you know, with you being on the venture capital side. So just help us understand, you know, what is Excel Innovate and what do you do and what does it stand for? Sure. Uh, Excel Innovate is a, a separate uh, v- venture fund that was uh, set up actually by Tom Hutton. He's our managing partner. And I, I, as I mentioned, I got to know Tom when he was CEO at RMS, and he and I spent several months negotiating that deal on opposite sides of the table. So many, many years later, when uh, he decided to start an InsureTech venture fund, he came back and said, uh, we've always wanted to be on the same side of the table. Why don't we try that instead? And that's really where the, the fund started. The fund itself is a sole limited partner fund with Excel Catlin as the sole limited partner. And what we have been able to do is really uh, have the advantage of being in a sole limited partner situation where we don't have to fundraise unless we want to. But um, XL Catlin looks to us to deliver financial returns rather than focusing on a strategic uh, aspect. So as investment professionals, we're able to select the deals that we want to do. I could imagine that with you selecting the deals that you want to do, that it could potentially lead to a competitive, uh, let's say, situation uh, with some of the organizations that you all decide to invest in with XL Catlin. Uh, you know, so I'm wondering how that works. You know, is uh, is there you know a potential for uh, an investment that you all are investing in that could potentially cannibalize the revenue that XL Catlin would generate? Uh, Well, I I think that one of the things that uh, Mike McGavick has been very clear about is if there's disruption in the industry, Excel Catlin should be there. Uh, So I think that the the point there is really if Excel Catlin is going to lose revenue, it's going to be to someone. And you're absolutely right. We will invest in companies that will compete with part of what Excel Catlin does. We are looking very actively, for example, for insure tech companies that are solving issues in commercial insurance, which is uh, a primary activity of Excel Catlin, as well as in reinsurance. So just just thinking about that, you, you mentioned that you're looking for opportunities in commercial and in reinsurance, you know. How do you define what exactly to invest in? We really look at uh, two silos when we look at uh, the venture business that we're focused on. One of them is data and analytics, as I mentioned. And I can go through some of the details of the portfolio. But really what we're looking for is companies that are identifying 
new data sets, in some cases creating new data sets through things like machine learning and IoT, and providing analytics that can enable insurers to do their business better, whether that's on the underwriting by making better underwriting decisions, and those could be either what I will underwrite and what I won't underwrite, or they can be pricing decisions. We've also looked at businesses in the claims area, for example, and I think that those businesses really support insurance and reinsurance regardless of whatever form those are going to take in the future. The other kinds of businesses that we really like are new business models, and Lemonade is probably the clearest example of that in our portfolio where they decided to go and build a new full-stack carrier. It's a personal lines business, but they're really changing the user interface, and that's the part that's easy to see, but they're changing the experience of being insured as well, and they're changing the process by which they make decisions in terms of using AI, using behavioral science, and really applying all of the modern knowledge that they have that sometimes uh, other established insurers haven't been able to take advantage of because they're stuck with their legacy systems. You know, so uh, so you mentioned a couple of areas that you all invest in. So you talked about the, the data piece. Uh, you, you also talked about Lemonade and this, the disruptive nature of what they're doing. And I do want to dig a little bit into that a little bit later. But then you also talked about, you know, uh, doing um, one of the other things that you also do is uh, invest in, you know, in-house new startups. So, you know, as you're looking across your portfolio, you know, what are you seeing as a clear trend and, you know, a concept or an organization type that's the most promising from an innovation perspective? Well, if, if what you're really getting at is what kinds of companies do we think of as investable companies? I think that for us, a lot of that starts with the team. And we look for people who have very often they may be from outside of the insurance industry. So they have an entirely new view. But we look for people who have a good technology grounding so that they are starting out with a concept uh, that can be executed. But also we look for people who have a certain amount of respect for risk so that they are very much looking at who do they need to add to the team or, or embed in the team from the very beginning who has an understanding of insurance and risk because they might come with an understanding of how to build a business um, and um, how to apply new technology to old problems. So we really look for a balance on the team. Um, and, and then I think the other thing that we would say is that there are, uh, there are teams who are um, a good fit with venture capital investment. And those are people who are absolutely tenacious and will pursue what their vision is but also will be capable of pivoting when they find evidence that there's a better direction to go in. 
you know, so, uh, Martha, when, when you invest, you know, what we were just talking about now. So, uh, so I know you said uh, you guys really tend to find uh, organizations that have a good team or that's going to construct a, a well-balanced team that's going to help to push the idea uh, forward. You know, but when you invest, do you embed an industry veteran or someone that has industry experience either on the team or potentially on a board seat? Well, I, I would I would separate out embedding and a board seat, but yes, we virtually always take board seats. Um, and one of the things that we try very hard to do is only make investments where we can add value. Part of the value that we expect to add is a knowledge of the insurance industry, and probably even more important and network into the insurance industry so that we can, if we personally don't know the answer, we can give you a pretty good idea of, of who to reach out to, or we can go and reach out and find resources. So I absolutely think that the board role is uh, a very close relationship with our uh, CEOs and entrepreneurial teams where as a board member in a seed stage company, you are both there for governance in terms of making sure that the company is being run the right way. And you're also there as an advisor for certain issues like you have a sales issue, I've seen a sales issue before, or you're trying to figure out how to go after a particular area within insurance, we can go and find some expertise on that that will give you some insight. And one example might be even aligning the way that startups talk and the way that insurers talk. So uh, I had one company that um, I introduced them to an actuary to make sure that uh, the buzzwords in the two conversations could overlap. And I think it really resonated because I think that sometimes we forget how deeply we get ingrained in our own jargon and that there are certain attributes that other people are really looking for when they're evaluating a solution. And if you can present it in a language that they're ready to accept, you've already crossed one hurdle. You know, so I'm, I'm thinking about the uh, the way that, that you just, you know, um, mentioned, you know, that, that piece, and just especially in terms of uh, the technology piece, in terms of, you know, when you're investing in an organization or when you're, uh, you know, working or, or deciding what organization to invest in, that you really look at the um, founders that might have a deep, technology background. Now, you know, what we do see a lot of is that, you know, a lot of these newcomers have zero insurance experience, um, but they do have that technology experience, which does make it very important for them to uh, to have the right people on their teams in order to make the concept work and, and push it forward. You know, so recently I was speaking with a founder of an insure tech organization, um, and that founder actually came from the retail industry, but decided that it was necessary to come into insurance uh, because they saw an opportunity in, in insurance and they were after, you know, the, the significant amount of funding that's starting to come into this industry now that everything is beginning to be branded InsureTech. Now, what I recognized after talking to that founder was 
they didn't really care about the industry. What they really cared about was, you know, this was their, you know, the I think the the fourth or fifth startup, um, and they recognized with all of the the free flowing capital that they can get funding for this idea, and whether it works or not, you know, they're going to have an opportunity to. To, to try to build something, and if it fails, they'll just go on to another startup. You know, so at XL Innovate, you know, how do you guys or how do you all weed out those types of founders from the ones and from the ideas that are really trying to change it and trying to become the fabric of the insurance industry? Well, yeah, that's that's a really interesting uh, anecdote. Um, it, and as you um, just uh we're speaking about people who do and don't have insurance uh, expertise. I was looking at our own portfolio, and I would say that uh, about half of our investments are uh, the CEO actually has touched the insurance industry in a very significant way. So uh, at Embroker, Matt Miller was uh, in private equity, but he sat on the board of Hub International. Uh, at Stonestep, which is microinsurance as a service, uh, our CEO started a very similar type of service when he was at an insurer in another geography. And at Slice, of course, I'm sure you're familiar with Tim Atia, and he came from Bolt, so he has really been part of the insurance industry. So that's kind of an interesting uh, issue. I think the other thing is that um, when you when you comment about people looking for opportunities because there's money free flowing, in fact, I think that for an entrepreneur, the most valuable thing that they have is their own time because they're making such a big commitment and a sacrifice of their own time. And one of the things that we've found is that experienced entrepreneurs are very much looking for an opportunity that is not only going to bring them uh, financial success, but is a really interesting problem. And one of the things I would um, highlight is for CAPE analytics, for example, which derives property data using computer vision, they've been able to attract very serious data scientists and uh, machine learning and computer vision experts because they have an interesting problem. And I think that that's one of the issues is finding teams that are honing down to a problem that interests them and where they're able to attract more great team members. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. You know, uh, so uh, first and foremost, I think that it really does start with uh, with the problem, uh, figuring out what that job to be done is, you know, if if you want to put it in in sort of the innovation terms uh, to to really understand, you know, what the needs of the industry are. um, And and then, you know, uh, either innovate or create a concept that's going to assist in meeting that need. Now, you know, I I think personally that the whole jobs to be done concept is, is, is a a little bit challenging to to really understand what the policyholder needs are um, in in the end. So so think about uh, or what I what I tend to think about is uh, the the claims piece, where we know that you know claims makes up a significant portion of the economics in our industry, um, and that you know there's opportunity to bring the economics down. Uh, from a from a carrier side, you know, from two thirds down to to a, a lower portion, depending upon what's 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 feeding into that, um, you know. But with those opportunities, uh, p- 
policyholders may not understand that there's a need to do things differently because they may not have uh, been in a position where they had to address uh, or, or work with a, um, an insurance company um, during a, a claim scenario until it happens. You know, so I, I guess my, my question for you, Martha, is, you know, how do, how do you think that the industry can really hone in on, let's say, the claims piece of uh, innovation, you know, within the life cycle when we may not have a, a good understanding of what that what the job to be done is for our policyholder? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that understanding the problem from the customer's point of view is going to be key. Um, I have been impressed with the extent to which entrepreneurs have been willing to go out and speak with the people who are in the market as customers or as providers. So I think that uh, that's probably something uh, that's a good reminder to incumbents as well to really engage with clients to understand what their issues are um, around the problem that you think that you want to solve. And for example, certainly uh, fraud is one issue within claims. It's not the only issue. And I am very aware that there are quite a few carriers pursuing artificial intelligence solutions to claims. And Lemonade has certainly been a leader on that. I, I don't know whether you've noticed their their three second claim, but they have um, uh, they have trumpeted a claim where someone lost their overpriced uh, winter jacket, and uh, in three seconds of making the claim, the money was in his account. And the reason that they're able to do that is because they are using AI in the background to scan the claims and um, scan the uh, gather other uh, intelligence so that they're making, they are compacting a decision that maybe used to have to go from desk to desk, from person to person, and now they're compressing the timeline there. And I think that one of the things we do know on claims is that shorter claims are better for everyone. The customer is happier and you're less likely to lose the customer, which is a big risk after a claim. And the longer that claims stay outstanding, the more ancillary uh, claims t tend to get attached. So I think that speed to delivery on claims is something that both sides can agree to. And we're seeing some pretty interesting things around that on the AI front. You know, so I, I, I know you mentioned Lemonade and I, and I do want to, you know, tackle, um, you know, just just, uh, you know, talking about what Lemonade and, and what Lemonade has been doing. And, and I think you're absolutely right, Martha. You know, Lemonade has really um, innovated across the entire insurance value chain. And, and you're right, the three second claim um, adjustment and payment through the use of technology. Um, I mean, that that was a record, you know, when, when Lemonade paid that out. And, and I think a lot of people uh, in the industry were, um, you know, very uh, impressed by that record. Um, and but when you hear, uh, let's say, incumbent uh, carriers, uh, you know, talk about Lemonade, there's a lot of criticism uh, that that's being given uh, uh, to Lemonade as an organization, whether it's warranted or not, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to put in a uh, make an opinion for that. But but there is a, a lot of a criticism around that. And, you know, recently, what I heard when Lemonade released the results, 
um, you know, was that, you know, as they collected the underwritten premium there, that there might be an opportunity for them to change how they're paying claims because of the, um, you know, because uh, they basically came out on the other side of this, you know, from a from a profitability perspective, at least in, in the first uh, with, with the first um, release of, of, you know, claims information and what was taken in from a premium perspective and, and what was paid out. So now to me, what that tells me is it's really early days. But, you know, I, I guess my my question for you is, as we think about what a company within your portfolio like Lemonade is doing, you know, how do you think that the uh, profitability is going to play out for that organization long term, knowing that they're completely innovating the entire value chain, but knowing that um, during that innovation process that they really haven't yet been hit with, let's say, a major uh, catastrophe or, or so on, which may completely change the economics and turn it the other way? Well, I, I, I do think that, uh, that that's something that uh, you prepare for in terms of uh, catastrophes, uh, and that's one of the reasons that you have reserves and Lemonade has a, an interesting structure uh, with reinsurance around that uh, issue. I think that actually uh, I, I was in a marketing meeting uh, yesterday where one of uh, our um, consultants said to us that uh, – you know that you're doing something right when you're attracting trolls on the internet, and, and I think that uh, I think that that might be the position that that Lemonade is in at the moment. And I think that one of the reasons is because if you look at new, uh, just as a market statistic, if you look at new renters who have never had renters insurance before in New York. Since the beginning of 2017, Lemonade has achieved a 27% market share. Lemonade has barely been selling insurance in New York for a year. So I, I think that they're definitely getting something right in terms of attracting new um, participants in the market. And I think that there are probably some incumbents who have some pretty red faces that what they've been doing for the past hundred years isn't really speaking to the people who are coming into the market new. So I, I think that uh, there is, uh, they, they're, they're absolutely identifying some new things in the market. And um, I think the other thing is that you'll see some very fast reactions and changes because I think that's the way that they've built the company to be very agile with the the concept that uh, they will be able to to make uh, changes as they learn more and more about um, how their market works. Yeah, you know, uh, and I did hear about the uh, amongst the new renters that in New York City, at least that uh, that Lemonade is capturing a significant portion of that market share, and that that's really impressive, especially considering in our industry what it takes from a customer acquisition perspective, just in terms of uh, the cost uh, that it takes to acquire new customers. You know, um, and uh, I know a lot of uh, incumbent carriers that's been trying to figure out, you know, how do you capture that segment when you're spending X amount just trying to get them into the organization? And, you know, Lemonade has really put together a really compelling value proposition that a lot of these new entrants are, are really or a lot of these new policyholders and new renters are really buying into, you know. So from your perspective, you know, what do you think actually makes a, com a compelling insure tech company like Lemonade? 
Well, I, I do think part of it uh, really does connect back to this uh, question of understanding uh, what the customer wants, respecting what the customer wants, um, and then balancing that with what the risk management needs are. So you're absolutely right. You you need to be always looking at both sides of the equation. I think the other thing that has is a real positive for a lot of the insurtechs is the ability to start with a blank slate. And I think that that's something that has been more difficult, of course, for the incumbents where they're uh, still um, working with uh, core systems that, that might be quite antiquated but are extremely painful from, to get out from under. Yeah, I and, and I and I agree with that. You know, um, I, I think uh, from an incumbent perspective, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, not being able to start with that blank slate because of the history of that incumbent, um, but not only just the history. When you look at everything about that incumbent, especially a carrier that's been around for, you know, a significant amount of time, uh, you look at the things like the technology that they use and the processes that are in place and, you know, uh, all of the different elements that play into what they do within the value chain. And you find that uh, it's really difficult to overhaul uh, the makeup of that organization um, and then, you know, just change, you know, what you're doing uh, as uh, as an organization. Although I will jump in on that one. Uh, Abel, and I will say that uh, one of the things that we have been really pleasantly surprised about has been how open the incumbent insurers are to doing business with the insurtechs. And I think this is something that I've seen as a change from even a year ago. But for example, at InsurTech Connect in Las Vegas, there was uh, a lot more um, love between the established insurers and the insurtechs, whereas I would say a year ago there was more suspicion. And for example, uh, at our Notion, which is um, connected home IoT, they're using several incumbent insurers as channels to market and providing value not only to the insurer's clients, but also to the insurers themselves who are able to use that IoT data and understand some of the risks that they're taking better. And our most recent investment, which is called Pillar, is in construction management uh, risk. And in that case, I think we're starting to see the insurers really uh, getting excited about the idea that the two biggest risks that they have on construction sites, which are water and fire, they could get faster notification that something's going wrong at that site. So what if you could know that the temperature is dropping at your construction site, someone flipped off the switch on the heater, and you could find that out before the pipes froze, and you ended up with a $25 million claim because of frozen pipes. Yeah, and and I think you know as as I look at um, at things like that, and also at how the partnerships have been occurring with uh, uh, the new entrants or the insure tax and the incumbent carriers, I I do agree with you. I, I think that you know uh, over time that it's uh, it's becoming uh, more of a warm relationship between the two. But I, I think the difference that, that I've seen um, is that where there are uh, insure techs that are challenging the distribution piece up front, you know, uh, potentially wanting to become a, a direct competitor, 
that uh, the it, the relationship may not be as warm as if it's uh, an insure tech that's going to help to enhance other areas of the value chain, like you know claims adjustment, or if, if we think about things like connected cars, and to your point that you just made, connected homes, that's going to help to you know improve the overall economics. I, I think those are a little bit more palatable. You know, so are, are you seeing something similar, or, or are you seeing uh, just across the value chain that the uh, relationship is starting to warm between the insure techs and uh, the uh, incumbent carriers? Well, it's interesting uh, point you make. And, and I think that we came into the market really after there were a significant number of insure tech companies that had already staked out some claim on the distribution front. And we have not made any investments in companies that are primarily focused on distribution. But I think what you'll often find is that those, uh, those for example, online distributors are distributing paper. They're, they're, they are providing leads to established insurers so that from the insurer's point of view, they're just seeing that as another way to get to market. Uh, so I don't think that they are feeling threatened or um, concerned about that because the insurance company is already used to paying someone to distribute, whether that's an agent in-house or an independent agent. So I, I do think that there, there are opportunities there. And I think that that can be a situation where for the insurer, it's a pretty painless way to reach out into another part of the market. You know, a- absolutely. You know, I I would say I definitely agree with your your con- your thoughts there. You know, so uh, so I I'm I want to you know just think about 2018 and 2019, and I want to get your perspective just based on what you're seeing. I I'm assuming that you have an opportunity really to. Uh, vet and talk to and and you know and partner with or or uh, you know get into discussions with insure techs all across the insurance value chain. You know, so if you had to look a couple of years down the line or even next year, you know, what are some of the predictions that you see as some new uh, potential concepts or trends in the insurance industry for 2018 and beyond? So I think that we will be seeing a continuing, uh, in the way that I look at the insurance industry, I think that a lot of the uh, insurtech started at what was probably closest to the founders' hearts, which was personal lines. And then we started seeing some companies, and Embroker be an example of this one, uh, that were moved into small and medium businesses. And I believe that we will start seeing more and more people work on more and more complex problems, including some of the commercial and reinsurance. We are starting to see some of that. So I think part of uh, what will happen is that people will start solving more and more complex problems, even if that means they're only solving a piece of a problem in the complex commercial insurance. But I think that we'll see uh, a progression towards um, the more complicated parts of the business. I think the other thing that we've already started to see uh, is uh, we've started to see some exits and I'll just use two as examples. Neither of these were in our portfolio, although we we like uh, both of the entrepreneurs uh, that put these businesses together. Uh, One of them was Vertiforth's acquisition of Risk Match, 
And there what you have is an established analytics and systems provider in the insurance industry acquiring a startup that is in really in the, the business of matching members of the community. And then Guidewire's announcement that they are acquiring science, uh, which obviously started out in the cyberspace. And if I am understanding it correctly, may do may expand their field under the ownership of science. So I think that that's one of the things that you will see is uh, successful exits like that. I think the other thing that uh, we will see, which is inevitable in this kind of ecosystem, is that uh, people will try things and they won't make it. And I know this year, uh, one of the UK companies that's been around for a while called Gavera um, uh, closed its doors. And I think we'll see some more of those uh, th- those um, failures as well. Yeah. And, and I think that um, I, I think it's healthy to see that. Right. You know, with the with the successes, with the acquisitions and, and with the failures, I think that's absolutely necessary because I think that shows what's what's really going to play out um, in the industry and what, you know, uh, what what um, things are going to work out well and what things could potentially not work out exactly. I, I do think a lot of this is on the execution piece as well um, in that there's always an opportunity to, you know, um, execute a little bit better or to, you know, to, to bring on the right people to to help the execution along. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I definitely think that, you know, that's something that has to play out. And as I think about the whole Guidewire and, and science, uh, you know, uh, partnership or, or the acquisition of science from, from Guidewire, you know, that gets me really excited because, you know, I think about what Guidewire's core uh, product set is, and and I think about what what science has been doing in the cyberspace and in the, uh, the the data space and, and everything you know from uh, from that perspective, and and I see a real opportunity to start to plug in all of the different elements of what science have pulled together into the Guidewire platform and really help to you know push the uh, the uh, additional capabilities that science is providing you know forward uh, from an insurance uh, an insurance perspective. So. I only see that as being a really positive benefit for the insurance industry in terms of, um, you know, what we're seeing from an acquisition perspective and and also what we're seeing from a from an exit or from a failure perspective. You know, so um, so so Martha, um, you know, one of the questions that I that I always ask, uh, you know, folks like yourself, especially since you are really, you know, deeply entrenched in all of the things that are happening in this industry. And and, you know, the listeners of this podcast are truly from the insurance industry all across uh, different levels within insurance. So, you know, what, what I always ask is, you know, if I was a listener that's sitting here listening to this discussion between yourself and myself here today, and I wanted to do things a little bit differently in my organization in order to help change the status quo thinking or to innovate a little bit um, better than what we're doing today, you know, what would your um, advice be to someone listening to this discussion? Well, I do have a couple of pieces of advice. Uh, One of them is really to think about what the client wants, because I think that sometimes we all get distracted by what our own organization wants and uh, how we work within our own worlds. So I do think that backing up uh, to look at that, I am a big fan of looking at other industries 
Uh, to, and I think fintech is a good example there, where if you look at the developments over the past five, 10 years, and how many things are easier to do today, that uh, you, you go to the tailor, and of course, uh, he has Square on his iPad so that you can pay easily. And uh, you're not carrying checks. You're not having to stop by and get cash and worry about those things. I think that there are um, there are examples everywhere around us where things are becoming easier. And I think one of the questions is how can you bring that ease of interaction to insurance as opposed to so many times it feels as though there is a barrier set up between the client and the insurance company. You know, I, I, I think that's absolutely the case, um, you know, especially when we think about client engagement and, and ease of interaction. Um, you know, uh, it, it, with, with that ease of interaction piece, I, I think a lot of uh, people are now so used to that ease from other organizations that are not insurance companies. When you think about the Apples and the Amazons of the world that are just making, uh, you know, interacting with the customer uh, very quick, easy, um, and, you know, and I think that that's what's been come uh, to uh, what customers have, have come to expect from all areas of, of what they do and, and organizations that they de- that they deal with. You know, it's interestingly enough, uh, there was uh, uh, I, there was something that that I was dealing with um, from an insurance perspective and I needed to pay my premium. Uh, with and I'm not going to mention the carrier that I'm with, but I needed to pay the, my insurance premium for this carrier. Um, and, you know, I went on to the app that was released, uh, you know, hoping that I can go on and and pay my premium. And it was even a challenge to pay the premium. I couldn't pay it through the app. Uh, and and <laughs> for, for me, I'm like, OK, well, wait a minute. As an insurance company, that's probably the first thing you want to be able to do is to collect your premium from the policyholders. And I'm so used to, you know, going on to Amazon and paying for whatever I need to very quickly. And, and that's the transaction for me, you know, find what I need. And five seconds later, it's all taken care of. And this was a huge challenge, you know, so I love it when you say, you know, um, you know, focus on the client need um, and something as easy as collecting premium as an insurance organization, you know, uh, you know, from my anecdote would be uh, be what I would think would make it easier for the client to uh, to engage. <laughs> Absolutely. No. I, and, and it doesn't feel like it should be hard to give somebody money. Does I know. It? <laughs> but I think the other thing I would say is that uh, start somewhere so that if you can uh, if I think that there are a lot of opportunities in insurance to make improvements. So I think that if, uh, from an organizational point of view, if you can have some successes, then I think you build enthusiasm within the company uh, to go for change. And I think that that's actually one of the things that I'm really seeing within insurance companies, uh, creating their own innovation labs um, and uh, their own innovation groups and really um, expecting the business units as a matter of course to make changes to the way that they do business. But I think that even incremental change can drive 
significant profitability changes. And maybe it isn't as exciting as the change you really want to put in place. But I think if you get started, uh, you, you know, a, a journey of a thousand steps starts with the, uh, of a thousand miles starts with the first step. So it's the same thing uh, in corporate innovation as well. Absolutely. You know, so I, I absolutely love the discussion that you and I had here today. And uh, I do want to say thank you for, you know, joining me and, uh, and yeah, for, you know, talking to myself and the listeners uh, of this podcast about what you do, um, you know, a lot of the uh, concepts and innovation and also just your thoughts on uh, the changes that's happening in the insurance industry in general. You know, so if someone that's listening uh, to this podcast wanted to get in contact with you, you know, how can I get them your information? How can they do that? Well, uh, how about uh, martha.noteras at xlcatlin.com? Ah, perfect. <laughs> so, Martha, once again, I do want to say thank you. I truly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, everybody. You know, once again, I do want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast. Now, you know, um, you know, I know a lot of you have been engaging with me through LinkedIn, through Twitter, Facebook, and just emailing me about all of the different things that you're hearing, you're learning. Uh, and what I would say is just, you know, don't be afraid to share that information with the insurance community. So, you know, tune in next week when I discuss insurance innovation with Sabine Vanderlinden. See you then.